come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman and welcome to the 100th episode of Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good oh, ghoul's guide, <laughs> a good ghoul's guide to horror. I am your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Donna. I'm your polter guide, Adrian. Polter guide, Debbie. She was starting an art project and she really got into taking some photographs and painting. It's fine. It'll be fine. It's fine. She'll be back soon. For yeah, sure. it'll be fine. All right. So one, congratulations. Good job on all of on us making it to 100. And two, we are discussing, not disgusting, oh my gosh, I got a words, words today, discussing Nia DaCosta's 2021 film, Candyman. So I say, let's go around. Did you like it? Did you not like it? This movie is a work of art. This movie is amazing. Go see this movie. Oh my God. Also, um, also cut this pause out here become ashamed of myself also the actor that plays anthony mccoy also a work of art holy shit shit. okay have you watched Watchmen, donna i have okay all right all right cool 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 all right that's all he was a work of art then too i just making just making sure so you can appreciate art at its finest (laughs) am i next you are next uh yeah i enjoyed this we've been doing this a hundred times connor I yeah I um man I love I love urban legends and I love a movie that does good urban legends and uh this is a plus so I yeah I love this I loved it you know when we got out of it I've I actually watched it twice I've but yeah I loved it I love I'm I'm kind of like you I love urban legends and I love I love social commentary horror you know that's Mm kind of that's kind of my wheelhouse and woo will yeah we're we're, we're gonna be getting into that one Urban legends and horror with a message. Oh, yeah. all the all the buttons pushed. Yep, that's like, hey, we know this is this is for you. We see. Yeah, you. It's, it's, it's so good. I do want to point out real fast that one, this film was number one last week, and Nia DaCosta is the first black woman to have a number one film at the box office, and I think that's amazing. And so, like, congratulations, but also it's twenty twenty one. Come the fuck on, world. I feel like, I'm sorry, this is not where we're at in this podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like Hollywood has just like in the last couple of years figured out that women and black people can lead and direct movies and then be successful. And yes, it's 2021. What the fuck? Uh, I don't know if they figured it out or if they were like forced to acknowledge. Um, Either way, I like I'm super proud of her. Like she did an amazing fucking job on this movie. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean at all to like take away from that with my come on, but like, I mean, this movie it's, uh, she should not have been the first. No, I, I definitely agree. And I know even before this film came out, not backlash, but it was an uphill climb because a lot of people referred it as Jordan Peele's Candyman and weren't, putting her name in the conversation because the they, it was definitely marketed that way oh no i'm not yeah, it was but in but even him when he would course correct they were still like oh no it's he's like no i just 
I helped write it. I helped produce it. That's it. Like I thought it was Jordan Peele for a long time because of the way that they were marketing it. Oh yeah. And yeah. That's my opinion on that. I mean, yay. Yay. This movie is great. Everybody who was involved in this movie deserves all of the fucking accolades that they are getting. Absolutely. I'm just, it's one of those things where I, like, I, I want to be happy for, like, I am happy for them. I don't want to be, I am happy for them. But at the same time, we should have already been here. Absolutely. She deserved it 100%, but she should not have been the first in 2020. Yeah. Like we've been making movies for a long fucking a hundred years, my dudes. <laughs> we have been making movies since the 19 fucking 20s. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to say this ahead of time. We're going to be in spoiler territory so fucking fast with this movie because I'm getting ready for to start recording. I was getting my my little IMDb blur pulled up and it spoils spoils. So, yeah, all the spoilers. So just if you haven't uh, if you haven't seen it, just pause it and then come back and listen to us. And that's fine. But uh, yeah, our good, good buddies at IMDb. Listen, this is not a joke. Normally, we try to put a joke here. This is not a joke. Nia DaCosta is a fucking artist. And this movie shows that just it should be framed. Go watch whatever Nia DaCosta does for the rest of her life. Go watch it. Agree. I'm I'm making a frame with my hands. I I know y'all can't see it, but it should be framed. (laughs) So... In the non-muted video podcast. <laughs> so yeah, I'd, I'd have to fix my hair. Same, but then Same. your voguing would be on video. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kenzie, you got to talk. <laughs> I'm just letting y'all just roll, just run. I'm not gonna try to talk over y'all voguing or anything. I'm just letting you run. All right, so our good good buddies at IMDb, <sighs> suckers. Um, they say. A sequel to the horror film Candyman, 1992, that returns to the now gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend began. That's why I say spoil. They annoy me that they spoiled it. Mm. Because they and had a sentence. That's like a sentence long yeah. and they couldn't, they couldn't help themselves. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like they kept that. Everybody involved kept it so mum that this is a sequel. Like they kept it. And I mean, kudos on that, first of all, keeping that type of secret. Yes, it's a little bit easier in the horror films because eh, we're the red horror horror films are the redheaded stepchildren of the industry, and that's fine. But is it yeah. easier though? Because a lot of horror fans will dig the fuck into stuff. They will, and but they're also a lot of them aren't assholes to like a good spoiler. They I mean they won't they won't say the spoiler, they'll just be like, hey. Make sure you stay till blah, blah, blah. That's true. They will point you in the direction, but they won't, uh, <laughs> they won't ruin it for you. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks, IMDb. Good job on that. All right. So, okay. Let's just uh, get into it. I guess, I mean, IMDb kind of got into a segment of it for us, not uh, with it being a sequel. <laughs> So I went and saw this. Here, here comes the spoiler. I went and saw this with my uh, with a good friend of mine who is just fun to watch movies with. And as Anthony was walking down the hall to visit his mother, he looked at me with this just delighted expression and went, "He's the baby. He's the baby." And uh, I was just, "Yeah, for sure, for sure, he's the baby." So I have to have I have to have a moment of pride on that right there 
because I did not pick up he was the baby. And about halfway through, before even him going to see his mom, Billy leans over to me and goes, I bet he's the baby from the original. <laughs> and I'm just like, I hadn't thought about that. And then now that the fact that he caught up, I'm like, oh, my heart, tear. This makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. So kudos. So proud. I'm very proud of that. (laughs) (laughs) I do like, though, that is the same actress that that played his mom that was in the original. Like I now that I didn't realize that I looked up, but I love that that was her as well. So that's such symmetry. That was that was my moment right after that. I leaned over and elbowed and went, I think that's the same actress. And he said, as who? And I was like, as the mom. Um, Yeah. So um, where should we start? Uh, the awesome mirror image opening of the oh credits. God, yes. <laughs> I, um, I did, it gets you from the very beginning. That mirror image of just like, just the credits was just. Yeah. And then that's followed by this weird tracking shot where you're looking up at the buildings and it's so disquieting. It's so um, off-putting, but not not in a, I want to leave, but in a, I am very unsettled by this. This makes me very uncomfortable, which, you know, is defo what she was going for. Um, but yeah, that that opening was really uncomfortable um, and I enjoyed it. It was good. And um, God, everything about this. I think that it should probably be acknowledged that we are not necessarily the people, not, not, not necessarily, we are not the people who have any sort of authority on this movie. There are other people who probably have a lot more interesting and relevant things to say about this movie. And I don't know that we can continue talking about it without venturing into some uncomfortable places that uh, we need to tread lightly in Um, because this is definitely a movie about like cultural trauma of, and, uh, and so this whole movie is incredibly uncomfortable and, and and just really good. Yeah, it is. I I agree that that is exactly what this movie is, and I'm okay with it. Which, granted, kind of going back to saying I I have no authority on this, but I'm okay with it being very blunt about mm-hmm. what it is. And mm-hmm. some people need the bluntness to understand, and that's kind of uh, she she has her subtle moments, and then there are. Oh, well, you remember the scene in the bathroom with the uh, with the five girls who got killed and this this black girl came into the bathroom clearly upset and there was never any explanation of what she was upset about. But I think we can all guess. And she went into the stall and she put her headphones on and she was sitting there. Um, And I mean, I was just really interested in her. There's this slaughter going on. And I'm like, I want to know more about her. Um, which I just thought was interesting, but in the vein of what an artist Nia DaCosta is, that compact, the one with the mirror, it fell and there were the bees, but you could see in the reflection in the compact, some of what was going on, that was one of the most amazing shots I have ever seen. And I mean, I'm putting the opening of Citizen Kane up there as, you know, one of the most amazing shots ever. This was one of the most amazing shots ever, in my opinion. Beautiful, gory, creepy, amazing. It is really good. And and I love that 
just by never explaining what was wrong with that girl, she became so interesting. Like I say, I think we can all guess what was wrong, but by never telling us, you know, you just became really invested in this character that was on screen for 90 seconds, two minutes. Yeah. So. Oh, I meant to open up this podcast with an apology. Um, because I feel like last week when we recorded for No One Sleeps in the Woods tonight, I didn't like the movie and I ended up being very dismissive, not just like of the movie, but of like the culture that the movie's from, which is really totally against the point of us watching movies that aren't just American. And so like, I was a dick and I'm really sorry about that. Um, and I would like to not do that <laughs> again. Um, it's good of you. But I will say that the treatment of LGBTQ people in Poland deserves. Yeah, that's 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 fair. The rest of it. So, okay. Um, while you were saying that really profound and significant thing, I happened to look up Kyle Kaminsky, who played Troy's boyfriend. He's really hot. I mean, he's. I, I mean, he was he was super cute in the movie. <laughs> this guy. Donna's thirsty today. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you guys. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Donna's like, yeah, and let's. That is a good looking man. Okay. Um, so Troy and his boyfriend were, were one of my favorite things. Um, I think, I think they managed to find the line between Troy being a stereotype and Troy being a great character. Um which is a tough line when you're when you're play when you're when you're portraying you know a really um, what's the word I'm looking for? twink is twink the word I'm looking for twinks are usually blondes and conventionally okay. attractive but Troy was was conventionally okay Troy was adorable Troy was Troy adorable. was like I want to give this boy puppies and put him in a field of yellow flowers. But like when he came back to the to the apartment with Brianna and was like yelling at Anthony, um, who wasn't there, but he was yelling at Anthony about how, you know, he better not come downstairs and we are leaving. Uh, I was like, you are such a good brother. You are such a good, good on you. I think what what helped where he didn't go into a trope was we had those quiet moments between him and his sister where you know those ones like hey we need to deal with dad hey we need to do with this where you could see they both genuinely loved each other and there was that you know they were they were they were siblings and i think that's what that was why it was just handled beautifully that he wasn't he was just being her brother with him and just i don't know that is i think that is why we it wasn't tropey you know what I mean? But that Gabe was just so quiet, just so quiet, didn't have much to say. But when he did have something to say, it was, you know, supportive and good. I just, I really liked their portrayal. I really liked the obvious affection between um, Troy and Brianna. Like when, like when Troy was leaning on the counter and, and she was like, oh, look, she, he's showing off his butt. You know, it was, it was, they clearly loved each other. And it was. I think all of the characters were really well done in this. Um, like you could tell their um, relationships just immediately. Um, and they all seem to genuinely like each other with one exception of Donna. Can we take a trip to Do Donna's doctor corner? 
Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, if your significant other's hand is rotting the fuck off, get them to a doctor. Oh, my God. Okay. So when that when that sting first happened and it was just a little swelling, all right, that's fine. Take some Benadryl. But at the point his whole hand is involved, he needs to see a doctor and don't wait till it's coming up on his face. I have strong feelings about this. I don't think you care about him. And that's his right hand. That's the hand he paints with. Um, so why? Why didn't she make him go to the doctor? I mean, not that I'm trying to discredit Donna's medical corner because I love Donna's medical corner and I'm, I'm a fan of it. I'm pro-science. That was also kind of when they weren't around each other a lot. And like even at that dinner, they're not sitting side by side. They are not really... You know, and then when they are around each other, that's when, you know, they have their big confrontation in a studio. So they're, they both had a lot going on. And so maybe with how he had it wrapped, she thought he had done something with painting, something, once again, not trying to discredit Donna's medical corner that I love, but there was a lot going on. You're not making there was a lot going on and maybe this is just partly my like dislike of touching people especially if things are gross and gross and oozy um i feel like i would have noticed that pretty quickly and uh and just been you know a hard no uh i think that the desire to get him to a doctor would have really overrode any anger i was feeling about anything because that's terrifying. <laughs> you were an asshole at your show, and now we're going to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you were a dick. Oh, my God, what the fuck is going on with your arm? So, one thing about Anthony, I already mentioned that the actor, whose name I'm going to say now, I've lost. Hold. Yaya Abdul-Mati. Um, gorgeous human being. And in the first part of the film, he was dressed in a way that really did show off his body. You could, you could see his biceps. You could see his really developed chest. You know, you could see his butt. That scene where he climbed over the fence with zero effort, like he was stepping over a Lego on the carpet. Um, you know, in every shot, you could really see just how good looking this man was. And about the time things started going bad, they started covering up his body. Like that, um, that coverall did nothing for his body. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting um, that they at first were really emphasizing how attractive he was. And then they started hiding more and, yeah. more, and more, you know, to the point that he went at the end when he was in that big bulky coat and had bees flying all around his face, you couldn't even see him. So was anybody else getting heavy magicians vibes there? Yes. Yes. Actually, I didn't go so far as to identify it as magicians, but I did look at it and go, oh, yeah, I've seen this. I, I didn't click until just now. I really appreciate, like, I don't know, I, I don't know if this was done on purpose or not, but um, the parallels that I drew between the Beast and the Candyman in this one, I thought were really good because, like, they're both just, like, I mean, magician spoilers, I guess, but they're both really just, like, products of the crimes that were done against them which is to say i'm not excused like you shouldn't kill people even if you're a supernatural creature don't kill people but like or in the case of the magicians gods you should yeah don't yeah just just try not to kill things in general um that you don't have to like i'm not going to get into a vegetarian debate here but like you know 
if you're not going to eat it, don't kill it. Um, but they're both really just victims of the like products of the crimes that were done against them. And I have been a pacifist in the past, but like, I would like to be that again, but there comes a point when you just can't keep sitting there as a person or as a culture and continue to take the things that are pushed upon you and leaving is not always an option. So what do you do? Da-da-da, the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about William Burke, who I sat staring at through the entire movie going, I know who that is. And it wasn't until the credits were rolling that I was like, oh, he was in Fear the Walking. That's where he was from. So yeah, uh, Coleman Domingo, I believe is his name. Coleman Domingo. He was really good. And when the twist came that he was the problem, I was really taken aback. And I don't know why, because he was not trustworthy and fear the walking dead either. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I was surprised, Um, but he was really good. I really, I really enjoyed him. I enjoyed him. Um, The character, you know, like you had this big trauma that happened to you in a laundry room. So you grew up to own a laundromat. That's fun. It's an interesting choice. Um, so, um, I enjoyed him, uh, Brianna. I really, let me tell you, I loved the consistency of Brianna. I mean, from the beginning, she's like, no, I'm not messing with this. No, don't, don't say that. Don't, don't say that name. Um, all the way up to when she was searching, uh, I think it was the laundromat. She opened the door, looked down the stairs and went, nope. And shut the door and walked away. And I was like, yeah, this is a consistent character right here. She is, she is not messing with scary stuff. I love Can we also like acknowledge the fact that she lives through the whole movie, <laughs> that, that that she follows all of the rules that we have ever put in place. Yeah, when she noped, I just I cracked up. I cracked up, I've cracked up both times. Like it just it made me laugh so hard. Uh-huh. Cause it was just like, yep. Um, let's see. Now back to Burke. I I do think it's interesting. We had no reason not to trust him. You know, he's just like, okay, he's telling us, you know, what we need to know. He's, you know, he's helping, you know, helping Anthony out. Just, I don't know. I just, I liked, I liked that twist. It's like, oh. Do you know how much I trusted him? Is that when he said that the Candyman was the, uh, the guy that got killed in the laundromat, I was like, oh, are we just not doing the whole Helen Lyle story? Um, I just trusted him. I was like, okay, well, we're just, we're changing the story. Um, and then, of course, other stories started coming in. And I was like, I wonder why he didn't share the actual story. I have an answer to that, Donna. And it's, it's, it's a brilliant revelation. And this is going to be uncomfortable to some people. But that was about a white woman. That did not affect his world like that and i mean and i think he even says as much people only pay attention when it happens to a white person and that so why would he bring up helen lyles like well and even her story gets told like an urban legend it's not quite what happened yeah yeah until until Anne marie said no she didn't kidnap you she she saved you um you you didn't get helen's full story um and i think your idea is brilliant but i also think he was the engineer of the whole situation. And I think he didn't share the full story because he didn't want Anthony to know the full story. Oh, I think you're right, but I'm, I'm not disagreeing that I think you're right that he didn't want, he wanted Anthony to come back on his own accord, not because he know, you know what I mean? Like he yeah. knew, 
he wanted just enough mystery just for that full circle that he that he talks about later. But yeah, and because this is a sequel, I liked that we got her recording, like him listening to Helen Lyle's recording. And then just, I love just getting to fucking see Tony Todd at different times at, yes. in the painting and then at the end. And it just, oh my gosh, my, my, my horror heart was so happy. Cause even like that first painting, I, I leaned over to Bill. I was like, I think that's Tony Todd. I think that's, mm-hmm. and then we get his story and I'm just like, and I, I literally was like, my heart like i know this story like i was very i was very excited about that i think i may have actually smacked my friend at the (laughs) the painting like yes and full-on tony todd at the there was it's always glorious it's always fun when tony todd just i'm I'm always happy i'm never upset if if tony todd shows up in a movie even if it's just for like two minutes in final destination i am here for it what was he in that i just watched recently was it Hellfest? I know Hellfest. Hellfest, yes. Yes, I liked him in Hellfest because he even had a moment of being, like, concerned. And I was like, oh, Tony Todd has a concerned face. <laughs> he wasn't just mildly amused at what was happening. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a delight to see him in that. So some of the murders, like the, the um, again, she's an artist. The murder of the uh, art critic where you just had that long, slow pull out and you, you just suddenly see her body and then it, and the, uh, and it just, it just made you imagine, it gave you a lot of feelings. Like here she is in the middle of this big city and anyone can see, and yet, you know, nothing happens to save her. But you also thought about what if you lived across the street and you looked out the, w- the window and you saw that, you know, it just, it gave you a lot of feelings and it was, it was a beautiful, it was just, it was beautiful. This whole movie is beautiful. Like, I think that this movie does an incredible job of being about an artist and really pulling that character into the way the movie is shot. Absolutely. I agree. The the other murder that got me was uh you know the two the two people there at the at the art gallery. It was such an interesting detail because you know she took that strap that was on her skirt and she hooked it on his belt loop and I kept waiting for that to matter and it just didn't seem to matter. I was like it was it was like okay that was a weird thing to do. It seems like it's going to interfere with the entire process, but okay. And then he gets up and tries to run and he can't unhook himself. And it was, it was a, it was a, it was a good moment. And I was sitting there going, just, just rip the belt loop, dude. I don't care how pants, expensive those pants were, just rip the belt loop. But he did not follow my advice. It wouldn't have helped. He would have died anyway. But I, I, I wonder if he could have, like, I only have ever seemed to rip belt loops totally on accident, doing something that doesn't fucking matter. But I feel like every time I've pulled on them for any reason, I'm like, this this would hold me up through a tornado trying to suck me into the sky, like through more than the forces of gravity. This will not break. So I think that there is a general law about belt loops, how they will only break if you have accidentally caught them on a door handle while you're walking at roughly a centimeter an hour. I like that. Um, And then at the end, at the end. Oh, my God. The end. When she's when she's sitting there and you hear the cops arrive, it was the, it was the same 
type of moment as the end of Get Out when you saw those police lights hit. Uh, I have forgotten the character's name. When you see those lights hit the char- hit the character yes. in the face, Chris. Yeah, and you just you you see the whole end of the movie just in that moment. You're like, oh, here's where it goes. And when the when the cops arrived here, you had that same moment of this ain't gonna go well, and yeah. it didn't. I had the same reaction to that scene, that death, even though I knew it was coming. I knew, sadly, I knew that's what was going to happen. It still gave me the same reaction that I still get to this day with Ben's death in Night of the Living Dead. Like it still, it gave me that reaction of anger, not understanding just all of the things, like just very visceral. Yeah. No, I had, I had the same feeling, that same God, why? But you knew why. Yeah, this movie is, it's not pulling punches about that. And I'm, I'm glad that it's not. And it, and it causes you to think about your own preconceptions. Cause Mm -hmm. I, I had them with, with Sherman when we first met him, you know, it causes you to think about that and to really look inside yourself and it's uncomfortable. And I mean, and it's, yeah, you just, you have to take a beat. Just a moment. Yep. I just keep thinking of these shots I love, but the, the shot of Anthony in the elevator at the library, when you could hear Helen's voice talking about reflections, and then he's just surrounded by reflections, just reflections everywhere. And then I he looks loved that. up and sees Sherman in the ceiling. It's, uh, it was so good. It was so, oh, like, Man, all the shots of Sherman were so good. Like he was, they made him like they made the undead version of him so terrifying. And like, but not in a gory way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't just gore. It wasn't a shock value thing. Yeah. So the first time I saw this, I saw this at the Dolby, which, you know, their whole thing is the brightest blacks. You know, you can see things, all the great sound, all of that. That first viewing, you could see very clearly what she wanted you to see where Sherman was at in the reflections very easily. Like, and it added that creep factor. So I went to yesterday, I went to Owasso's little theater, which is just, it's a normal theater. And it was harder to notice those, those scares of him being there with that. As I got at the Dolby where you could tell it's like, okay, yeah, he's in this reflection. He's there. And it, it added to that tension. And I think there was, There's definitely something to be said about seeing films at the best possible way that you can to get that tension. And that is what I could compare the two, what was just a little bit lost. Hmm. I feel like if there was ever a time for movie theaters to like get their shit together and make sure that their projectionists were doing their job, it would be now. Now's a really good time for that because um, going to the theater is a very difficult decision to make. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and I just don't like when I make that decision and then it's not the best experience because not only is it like before I was like, ah, it's expensive. And like, maybe my popcorn sucked or my soda tasted weird, but it's the theater, whatever. Now I'm like, maybe my popcorn sucked and the soda tasted weird. And also I might kill somebody with my germs now that I've been to the theater. Yeah. So no, I uh, kind of 
jumping back, I liked you without seeing Sherman, you felt his presence through. And even then you would, the moments you did see him, it was like, oh yeah, shit, he's still here. Like I liked that. Yeah. Um, I also like, I love the Sherman story too, because you know, one of my big complaints about a lot of horror movies is that they tend to demonize um, non-neurotypical characters. And what I loved about this movie is that it sort of starts out like it's going to do that, but then very quickly is like, and we fucked up. Like he was fine. He didn't do it. Like it was confirmed that he didn't do it and nobody did anything about that. And um, I appreciated that a lot. So I just looked up the actor that played Sherman. He has been in almost nothing. He's got five acting credits from 2008 to Candyman, which I'm really surprised about because I thought he was really good. Yeah, he he did really well. Everybody in this movie killed it. Yeah. Oh, it looks like maybe he does a lot of theater. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I I had a wondering about Sherman if he wasn't, and I think you said it better, Adrian, with uh, neurotypical, but I, when you saw him, I wondered if he was just a little bit developmentally disabled. Yeah. Like there was just not, just there was something that was, you know, that would cause, especially back then, people to freak out. Mm-hmm. Not really freak out, but just be a little, I don't know what I'm trying to say. So, but I, I noticed that I, I wondered that. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that they were definitely going for that without coming out and saying anything, because I think that there are a lot of non-neurotypical things that you can't, that, hmm, that unless you can diagnose it, there are no words to accurately say it that we still say in this day and age of 2021 for Uh good reason. Yeah. So one of the critiques that I've heard of this movie is that, if we're okay to move on. Oh yeah, I think so. So one of the critiques that I've heard of this movie is um, that it kind of is too blunt. It's too like clear and open to preachy. And I think that's bullshit, (laughs) but I think it's bullshit also because again, with bringing Anthony, the character into the filmmaking, you know, he's an artist and the art that we see him doing is very, blunt literal interpretations of an of like illustrative pictures of violence his art style is very blunt and honest and and i feel like the movie is echoing his art style and you know as the movie gets weirder his art also gets weirder that's and, true and so it just i don't know it bums me out also i don't think the movie's preachy at all I think it is very clear what the movie's about. And it it bums me out whenever I see people using that as like a point against it. Like, oh, I'm sorry that you could tell the message of the movie. Oops. You remember the movie Amistad? Yeah. No. You don't remember the movie Amistad? I mean, I know it exists. Oh. I didn't watch it. Okay. Well, it was a movie about a slave ship. All right? I thought it would make me sad. So I chose not to. Oh, yeah. It- Defo would have. Uh, somebody I will not mention by name dismissed Amistad as propaganda. And I was like, what? What propaganda? That slavery was bad? Is that the propaganda that you're concerned about? That broke That's... my brain. I, uh, so 
when you want to dismiss a movie like Candyman as being preachy, I have the same kind of feeling like racially motivated violence is bad. Is that is that the thing you're objecting to being preached about? Because it is bad. Yeah, like objectively. So my take on that uh, critic of being too blunt, um, social commentary and horror. It's nothing new. It's we've we've seen it done and it's sometimes it's done subtly and obviously that's not working so be a little bit more let's get in your face let's get in your face about it and i'm fine with that like let's make you uncomfortable let's yeah yeah fuck them on that uh that being a negative about this film this is it's supposed to make you uncomfortable and that's the point so we should talk about this one quote we started to make it our actual official quote Mm -hmm. but we're just going to talk about it now instead and that quote is from anthony mccoy who is full-on candy man at this point they will say i shed innocent blood you are far from innocent but they will say you are and that's all that matters so he said that to the cop that was trying to get brianna to lie about what had happened Mm -hmm. yeah so let's talk about they will say you're innocent but you're I mean, this whole movie is really just a not about, but one of the big tenets of this movie is the way that stories change. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how much what is said matters more than what happened. Yeah. Like when they first told Helen's story and two people who saw the original movie, you're sitting there going, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. She didn't walk into the fire. What are you talking about? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you you're you're dead on. That was a uh, wine blow. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true, and and that quote I think really brings a lot of it home. Where you know the cop told Brianna what was going to be said, and basically was like, "You're going to be in on it, or you're going to be a perpetrator." And so when when Anthony, as the Candyman, shows back up and he says that. I mean, he's just telling the truth. It doesn't matter what either of them, what either Anthony or Brianna does in this moment, because the story is already being set. And then Tony Todd told her, tell everything. I love, I love, love, love the infectious monster so much. It's so good. I love, like, that's one of my favorite things about Nightmare on Elm Street. And I love that they brought that in here too. Mm-hmm. Just the viral nature of of fear. Um, oh God, there's so many little things about this movie that are just so good. Like I, I this is if I, I like, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble articulating what I want to say here. This movie is just so good. It's obviously not perfect because very few movies are perfect. I can't think of a perfect movie right now. But in my opinion, it's messy in all the right ways that horror should be messy in. Like, does there's too much imagery going on with the candy man. There always has been like the hook and the candy and the bees and, 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 and <laughs> there's just always more getting layered on it. And there's no, it feels like the story was made so that they could have all of these different creepy images here. And I feel like this movie does a really good job of explaining why that happens. And so it's messy, but I don't mind. <laughs> Like, like, like they've, they've made me buy into it more now. Um, and then also just this 
this addition of the urban legend and the way that stories are told and what gets to be true, true air quotes, um, sort of makes me give, like, it makes the whole franchise feel a little bit like an unreliable narrator. And, uh, and I think that's, I think that's lovely for horror. Just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel like we could rave for another hour about the beauty and the artistry behind this film. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, go see it. It's beautiful. It will make you uncomfortable and it needs to be discussed. And it's, it's very good. Man, I wish that movie theaters were still doing social distancing um, because they don't seem to be. And that sucks. Or at least the ones here don't seem to be, but yeah, man, this movie really deserves everything. Go see, a, go see a matinee. There's not a lot of people usually at a matinee. Go see a matinee. I, I went to a matinee yesterday and we all basically sat in our own rows. I was probably the only minority there. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I'm glad this was our 100th episode, Candyman, by the way, because it is, it's good. A, 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 it. a revisit to a classic seems fitting. Yeah. Exactly. And not just yeah. a revisit, but a well-done revisit, not some shitty remake. No, this was, the source material was known, it was respected, and it was handled with a deft hand. Mm-hmm. And I think you said it perfectly with everything, making the other films in the franchise kind of the unreliable narrator, and that why things are different. And speaking of, okay, we have to real fast before we wrap up. The the art, the art in the little shadow puppets. We need to just. Oh, talk. God, I love that. Holy shit. Because mm-hmm. it was like, to me, it was a good segue into seeing just as the legends are being told and just, oh, oh, I loved it. And you know what I loved is how you could recognize the people. Yeah. You could recognize yeah. Tony Todd in that black silhouette. Yeah. Oh, I did want to read a section from an article real quick. Um, So a lot of the original Candyman kind of pulled on some real stuff. And uh, and at the time, like some actual murders and stuff that happened. And I guess at the time, some people weren't super into that, into the fact that they were using real victims names and stuff. Mm. Um, So I believe that this one kind of tried to be a little bit more respectful about a lot of that stuff. Um, let me see if I can find this. It still like calls out things and, 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 and real victims, but it doesn't fictionalize their stories the way that the original one did. But I specifically wanted to talk about, and this is from an article on slate.com called how the new Candyman draws from the original and from real life by Matthew Desim. And this last paragraph is what I wanted to focus on. So, Okay. The most on-point piece of local lore worked into DaCosta's Candyman, though, is one the film barely calls attention to. The church where Anthony McCoy himself becomes Candyman at the end is the Stranger's Home Missionary Baptist Church, formerly known as San Marcelo Mission Church. The drab monochrome outer wall seen in the movie used to be the site of an important mural by William Walker, All of Mankind, Unity of the Human Race, until it was unceremoniously whitewashed in 2015 when the building was up for sale as part of a Cabrini Green redevelopment project. Although Walker painted the inside too, the building was locally known as the Little Sistine Chapel. The interior murals seen in the the film is not his, and the real interior murals were also destroyed. 
a building where a black artist painted an earnest public plea for racial unity, which was then destroyed in the name of gentrification, speaks to DaCosta's themes as surely as the story of a killer emerging from a bathroom mirror spoke to roses. Yeah. That's a- and terrible. <laughs> yes. Terrible. For sure. I just like, I don't know. I love the heartbreak. I, I love it is heartbreaking that this perfect example of ruined art existed for her to film in. Yeah, she is. She is saying a lot that even being accused of being this beating you over the head and being blunt about what it's about. Then you have moments like that where I, I know until you read that article to me. That last bit, I didn't know about that. I know Donna didn't know about that. And until you probably read the article, you didn't know about that. Just I even didn't. even just the subtle details. Like, yeah, it's not just it's not just blunt force trauma on what this is about. No, it's not. And I think that people who make that kind of critique are probably very uncomfortable. And like, that's fine. Make peace with it. Be uncomfortable. And that's the thing. And that's there's a great quote about art and and I, I, I think back to it every now and then, but in, this is going to be funny who it comes from because it comes from Rob Zombie. But he talks about how art isn't supposed to be safe. I agree. Yeah. And I, and I think about that, you know, I think about that. And I think this film is a perfect example of that, of that quote. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think especially when you're dealing with horror movies, a lot of times you should be fucking uncomfortable like, if you're comfortable watching all of this death and gore. That's a problem. Maybe not in some movies. Some movies are just not great. So whatever. You can yeah. be comfortable watching that. Like, but, like, it's okay to be uncomfortable while you're, while you're watching something. And it's okay to be uncomfortable while you're, like, facing faulty lines of thinking or past sins. Those are perfectly reasonable things to be uncomfortable about. And it doesn't mean that the art is bad or that you are bad. It means that you are seeing something that's giving you the opportunity to change your mind and to do better in the future and to acknowledge that some bad shit has gone down. And all of this is like all all of all of this, not the bad shit, but everything else is okay. It's okay to feel uncomfortable sometimes. Nothing gets better if you don't feel uncomfortable sometimes. That would be a great place to end the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not going to. So I think that's a perfect place to end the dis- this particular discussion. Yeah. And and it's a good segue into our rule, poll, and quote. Uh, so uh, I've got our rule. Yeah, you have our and rule. The rule that I wrote down was respect the legend. But I sort of want to expand that a little bit for this movie um, to be just respect, period. <laughs> right there not just respect the legend but but respect the area you know this whole movie is about a lot of things but gentrification being one of them and that bit about the church like respect the places that have been built and the history that's there respect the people that live there respect their stories and their histories and respect the legend if somebody says this will kill you why are you gonna like just respect it (laughs) just be like cool and then don't do that thing Do you know how easy it is to not say Candyman in the mirror five times? Incredibly easy. I have gone nearly 40 years not doing that. Same. Same. And and I never will because while I am an ardent supporter of science and I do not believe in ghosts. Why why test it? Why test it? 
you know, whenever I was younger and all of my friends did Bloody Mary and I didn't, and they were all like, why not? And I was like, because what if it works? Then what? Same. <laughs> it's like, no, just, just do it. No. Nope. What's the bonus? It's not like you do it and she gives you a fucking wish. No, you do it and she kills you or nothing happens. Those are the options. The risk reward is totally fucked up here. The best, the best outcome is nothing happens. Yeah. So, so, so why? And the outcome you're telling me will happen is that she'll come and take my face. So I don't know. <laughs> fuck you. All right, Donna, you have our poll. Predestination. Is our <laughs> yes, I remember. So do you think Anthony Coy had any chance of not becoming Candy? I don't think he did. And this is why I say that. He was already not, I mean, yes, he was still in Chicago, but he wasn't living, you know, I, I got the impression that he didn't, I mean, he went, you know, he was a grad student and in art school and he didn't have a strained relationship, but you know, it wasn't super, it wasn't always talking to his mom, things of that nature. And I think he wasn't trying to talk about where he was from and even talking even when he would say no i'm from south side i think burke said it best that Candyman always had some always had something special planned for him i um am gonna say a thing which is that you remember when we did the original and we talked at length about what happened while Candyman was taking care of that baby mm-hmm I think Candyman was inoculating him with something. I think Candyman infected him as a baby. I don't think it was predestination. I think it was something that had already happened when Anthony was an infant. Well, and I think that also then goes into the reason, because he did summon Sherman, and the reason Sherman didn't do anything to him, because he knew he was going to be his successor, if you will. Adrian? I think that this is a metaphor for something that happens in real life all the time. And that is that it's easy to assume that everybody is given the same options. And so when somebody ends up in a bad place, people think, oh, well, they should have made better choices. But the fact is, is that not everybody has the same pool of choices to choose from. And, you know, the easiest example I can give of this is that I never had money for college. If I didn't get a scholarship that was going to cover everything for college, I was never going to go. And I didn't, <laughs> I did not get my scholarship and because like nobody might, you know, I, I, I couldn't get a loan and I couldn't get, and there was just no money. And that's, you know, the easiest example I can think of, but I think that he made all of the choices that he could make. And that his pool of choices was just smaller and led down a darker path than, than the choices that most people get. So when it comes to like predestination, it's not that it was predestined. It's just that when you are born into a place where there's a lot of violence and not a lot of money, you have fewer options and fewer good options than people who are born into places that do have money and don't have that violence. So maybe he could have gotten out of that, maybe, but he would have had to have done so many things, quote unquote, right. And on top of that, have been, had been very lucky 
you know, going back to the example of me in college, I did a lot of volunteer work. I threw everything I had into this organization that I had watched give other people scholarships. And when it came time for that, I didn't get any of them. And, and that's what I mean. Like you can do all of the work and still not get lucky. If you are not the person who somebody remembers their name, or you're not the person who um, fit the idea of what they were looking for or whatever is happening at the time, then you don't get the lucky breaks that other people might get. And, you know, they sort of, I think, established that he wasn't really a struggling artist, but he hadn't done any art in a couple of years. And I don't believe his money was the money that got them that apartment. Oh, no, it was it was it was Brianna's. And that's mentioned. Yeah, it's mentioned because of the first time they talk about, you know, hey, you miss coming to see your mom. And mm-hmm. your mom said uh, that since you have money, you know, so that I, that I, since you have my money, you're not coming to s- see her or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. That I'm paying you not to see her, I think was the line. Yeah. The, and also when, when they were talking about the new apartment, Brianna said my new apartment and then kind of backed up and corrected herself to say our new apartment, um, which I think was a much more significant line than I gave it credit for at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, so he was a little bit of a trophy husband there. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but so I don't think that he had the breadth of options that would lead him to not become the candy man is I guess what I'm getting at. He, he had a limited number. And so while it wasn't predestined, it was highly fucking likely the same way that it's highly fucking likely for kids who grow up in bad neighborhoods to end up being a part of that bad neighborhood. Sure. Well, that's just another layer of this film being about cultural and generational trauma. Yeah. All right. Well, I have our quote, which was said by Troy, who we love. Ain't no dick on the planet can offset a demonology hobby. Some levity to this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love Troy. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else before we close this 100th episode? Yay, us. I'm so glad that we did. Me too. I'm so Tell everyone. glad. What? Tell everyone. Tell everyone. <laughs> so I think it was at Ghostbust. It was at Ghostbust. Turned around. I think, was I seeing it with? You're seeing it with me. You're seeing it with me. With Kinsey. Mm -hmm. I turned around and realized Connor was there and introduced you to and Cabot. Yep. Because you had kind of mentioned about doing a horror podcast to me. And you're like, yeah, I have another friend. And I think they would be a good fit. And then it was like very quickly after that was all of us at Ghostbusters at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it just kind of went from there. And here we are. Yay. Yay. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening and supporting us. We do appreciate it. We, Like I said, we made it to episode 100. You can definitely find us on all the social media. We're at Beyond Cabin on Instagram and Twitter. Beyond the Cabin in the Woods.com is our webpage. We're also on Facebook, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Callista77. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Dragon Goblin. Uh, there's no I between the B and the N in Goblin. And I am Junkyard Poet on Twitter. 
<laughs> and don't read the lat. Or say Candyman five times in the mirror. Tell everyone. Tell everyone. You know what horror is. Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people. Meow. Meow.